Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 307 of the podcast. It's the 8th of December, 2021, as I record this intro. This week, Fran Liberatore, an unschooling mom of two and the creator behind the Instagram account Big Mothering, joins me to talk about her unschooling journey so far. Currently working on her master's degree in early years education, Fran shares some of her reflections about educational philosophy and practice and how she hopes to see schools change for future children. We talk about adultism and other societal messages we absorb about children, which in turn affect the way we treat children. She also shares her experience doing the deep inner work of unschooling and some of the ways she has grown and learned from her children. Fran has thought deeply about parenting and education, and her philosophical reflections are inspiring. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon, and a big welcome to new patron, Randy Timmons. Hi, Randy! I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now here's my conversation with Fran. Welcome, I'm Hela Rikia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Fran Liberatore. Hi Fran. Hi. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been really enjoying reading around on on your uh, blog, uh, some articles that you've written, and I'm loving following you on Instagram. So I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about your unschooling journey. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? And I'd love to know what's everybody into right now? Yes. So we're fairly new um, unschoolers. So we've been going for about two years. Uh, my kids are seven and ten, so they they did go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I've been reading about unschooling since my daughter was like since I was pregnant with her, and uh, I just read about home education in the newspaper, and and I was like, oh. Okay, it's a thing. It's a thing, yeah. <laughs> to me, ever right um, in Italy, where I grew up, it's not, it's not a thing, um, or at least it wasn't when I was growing up. And um, so then uh, I kind of, you know, researched and uh, read John Holt's books, and then I'd always wanted to. So we sort of set out unschooling actually, initially. Uh, but then we moved, so we've had several moves um, in the past few years. And then, um, I don't know, I just sent my daughter to a Montessori school when she was six. Uh, so she's, she was home with me until she was six. And then she went to school and then her brother went. Uh, and then they sort of, once you're in the, the system, it's, I don't know, it's like you're in it. It's hard yeah. to get out. 
you yeah. know. Um, it's got like this pull, this energy, right? Just move forward, keep moving forward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And anyway, so so then when COVID hit, where we were at the time, um, their, their school shut. And so uh, that was kind of my chance. I'd been waiting, waiting for a, a chance to do it. Um, and we tried it. Um, yeah, and, and we're loving it. Um, the My son was all over it from the start. My daughter was like, you know, she was, I think, eight when uh, I took her out. So she was kind of into school. Uh, and uh, and so I, we just thought we'd give it a year. Um, and I said to her, you know, it's okay. Like, I get that you want to go back to school after this year. Like, it's fine. But let's just give it a year with COVID and everything. The school wasn't going to reopen anyway. They were doing online learning, which she wasn't into. Um and uh, and then she she now she's fine she doesn't want to go back. <laughs> but I would have been you know I would have been open I would have been sad but I would have been open for her to go back obviously if that's what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway now she's they're both like we we don't want to ever go don't ever send us. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like okay. <laughs> uh, anyway you asked me what they were into um, so. Uh, so my son, who's seven, um, he is into music massively at the moment. And he, he goes in kind of stages of like obsession with something, which I've noticed is actually what a lot of kids do, right? It's not like, oh, I'll do a bit of like this and then a bit of this, <laughs> a bit of that, you know, like 30 minutes every day. Uh, <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> He's just like obsessed with rock music at the moment. So he has a guitar and he he plays it, but he doesn't play it in the way that an adult will recognize it as playing. However, in his head, he's playing, like for him, he's playing it. So whatever. And uh, he listens to a lot of, of rock music. He's really into like ACDC and Van Halen. Who even knew that? I didn't even know about them. Like... <laughs> Maybe I've been living under a rock or something. But anyway, um, and he sings a lot and uh, just every, he's, everything is like music for him right now. So this is kind of his main thing. But he also loves, he loves to be outdoors and he loves to move. He's just, uh, he moves. He moves a lot. Um, <laughs> which, and it's great. Uh, and my daughter's into, she's, she's always been into history. Uh, right from the beginning so she's super um she'll read anything that's a history book um and then um she's really into like doing crafts but not like crafts that I organize (laughs) I I don't even try anymore but like uh just crafts that she wants to do um you know like I want to make this thing and then she goes and does it and she doesn't want me to Mm -hmm. help um, and then she wants to teach me how to do it, which I love. Yeah. Um, so she'll be, she'll learn how to do it. And then she'll sit me down and be like, right, I'm going to teach you how to do this craft. Uh, and I'm, you know, I love crafting. So it's like heaven for me. Yeah. And, and I love being taught because I quite like being like led in some, you know, in some spheres. Um, so yeah, so it works out. Uh, she's a huge reader uh she's she's always been she reads everything um they both love minecraft 
um, at the moment. That's kind of their go-to thing on, you know, whenever they're playing a game or whatever. And they play together a lot as well, uh, which is nice. And one of them is screaming now in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds like so fun. And totally, it is so fun when our kids are excited to share something with. They want to show us how to do it. They want to show us how they did it, how they figured, but that they want to figure it out themselves often. Like one isn't better than the other. Like some kids will want to like figure it out together or might want us to figure it out. And because we know how they like to take information in, they like us to show them, etc. But that's the piece where we get to learn about them. What makes them tick? How they like to approach things. So giving them that space without putting our preferences on top of it, it's just so fun to watch and to participate in, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love that. That's one of my favorite things. I think that as soon as my kids realized that, like, I wasn't going to teach them, and and they realized gradually because actually I... I feel like we got to, we, you know, there was a long period of de-schooling, like especially for me um, at the very beginning. Um, but when they did realize that actually they, I wasn't going to be doing that, then they, um, they got really busy just doing things themselves and exploring the things they wanted to do and like not doing the things that they didn't want to do. Uh, and then, and then I, you get these moments where they're like, oh, I want to, I want to talk you through this artwork or whatever. Um, you know, the kids will say to me and then I'll sit down and they'll, they'll teach me, uh, uh, or they will like, I don't know, they've been watching, they watch lots of, um, like mystery science videos mm-hmm. uh, and they learn so much, uh, from these videos. And then they'll come to me and they'll like, tell me the whole video with the details and all the names and everything and things that I have no idea. Like, wow. I'm like amazed at these things. Uh, and I love that. It's like reverse, it's like reverse teaching, but that's how they're learning. Right. Right. That's how they're processing it all. Right. Putting it all together. It's, it's another stage, another step in the process. Like you can bring things. My son and I were talking about it last, last night it, it's fascinating how you can be thinking very deeply about something and think you figured it out, but taking that next stage to talk to somebody about it, even just to explain it, explain what you're thinking, more connections invariably pop into place as you're trying to put it together verbally, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So I'm also curious what you're into right now. Oh, uh, well, I love to sew. Uh-huh. I just got my sewing machine. We we moved recently, and it just arrived yesterday. So, <laughs> um, what else? I like I like to take long walks. That's kind of my like my Zen time. Like I take long walks and I like listen to a podcast, or sometimes I don't listen to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like hikes uh, we're in a really we're in Maine now so the hiking is just amazing yeah uh, which I love uh, and I love to read uh, and I love to write those are kind of my things beautiful beautiful now uh, the next question is basically about how you discovered unschooling and what your move to unschooling looked like you've touched on that a bit with it 
um, starting with the pandemic and the kids coming home then. <clears throat> and you mentioned the de-schooling phase a little bit. So I was hoping to have a couple, couple more stories or insights to share about what the beginning of that journey. I, I loved your point about the kids like first they knew they were home, but that next stage when they realize, oh, I really do have agency over, I'm not going to be told or taught um, specifically. Uh, and then noticing them taking like more ownership and more agency just over their time and really say, oh, I am free to explore. So I thought that was really, really a cool observation about it. Yeah, I think, I think when you think of, when I thought of unschooling, I just thought we would carry on as we were. Mm-hmm. But actually, I realized that I had so much work to do, even though I'd been reading all the books. Yeah, uh, It's one thing to like read all the books, and it's quite another thing to like actually live it. Yep. A lot less, it sounds a lot like it's a lot less glamorous to live it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's just more like mundaneness to it. But it's also, but you do have those moments of like, you know, just wonder as well. So, uh, you know, and it's just, I mean, it's just an entirely different thing. But anyway, so when we, so when I took them out of school, I think I I started to realize that um, actually the way I had related to them was maybe not the way I had originally wanted to. Mm -hmm. Like our relationships needed work basically, especially with my daughter, um, because she's, because my son is, um, uh, is neurodivergent and he has a lot of needs and he's very vocal about them. Yes. And, uh, so I, I've always had a very close relationship with him. Uh, whereas my daughter is more, uh, quiet and easygoing. Mm-hmm. I say that because like, she's, you're kind of forced into easygoingness sometimes as a kid because you, you, you sense like she can really sense, she can look at my face and sense what I'm thinking. So she senses moments when like, I can't, I'm looking like I can't handle what she's bringing to me. And so she then becomes easygoing, right? She becomes a child, like she'll go off and whatever, be easy. Um, and I, I started to realize that, I think, just from spending more time together. Mm-hmm. And I, I had long chats with her about um, how I didn't think that I'd done the best that I could. Or I'd done the best that I could in that moment, but how I'm looking back, I would like to do better. Mm-hmm. And so we had long conversations about how I didn't feel that... Um, how I understood why sometimes she didn't feel she could fully trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was really like quite hard stuff, I think, for me and her to realize that actually uh, I hadn't, uh, I could have done better, um, at least not in a kind you of like. Because you know more now, right? Just in a like, now I, I see this now. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I'd like to change things, basically. So I wrote her a whole um, a sort of, it wasn't really a letter, but it was just points of what I was going to do, or what I was going to try and do going forward. You know, things like um, uh, 
I felt like I'd been too judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was quite, I felt very judged growing up. And I think, and I explained to her, you know, sometimes things that are done to us when we're children, when we grow up and become adults, we then do those same things to our kids without even realizing. And so I sort of, we had that conversation. And so I wrote her down things that I, I was going to try and like, um, work on moving forward. But I also like, my last point was also like, I'm human. I had the childhood that I had, which was fine, but it was, you know, a, a an average kind of childhood. And, um, I will, I will be making mistakes. I love that. Love that you know, it was fascinating to me, just as you were sharing that story, like little bits that clicked into place, like you having mentioned before how much your daughter loves reading, right? She always loves. So like your kind of letter or written format to communicate with her, that I was seeing just how beautifully that fit with who she is, who she is, right? Um, for her to have that with her. And your last point, because it's when we like write down almost our intentions, right? That last point about I'm human, like we don't want to set ourselves up for failure or for disappointment in their eyes too, right? But we can share. And again, it's personal, like to the individual and to the relationship, but to share that that's kind of what we're aiming for. So often our kids are so beautifully capable of taking that in and actually kind of helping us. If they know where this is kind of what we're aiming for and they, they feel judged, for example, like I'm feeling judged in this moment. You didn't want to do that, that they're comfortable to mention that. Like they can be so helpful for us on our journey when they feel kind of empowered through that, um, com- those conversations and that letter um, to help us in that way, but also understanding that we're human. And the piece, I think it's really important too, sharing the piece about our childhood or our, just our experiences and how they play into our choices so that they realize that our tendency to judgment isn't about them and what they're doing, but it's so much about our previous experiences. So even when we maybe misstep, which we will do, <laughs> for them to, to understand that it's not about them, that it's more about us and it's something that we're working on, that is just so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I kind of cling on to, onto that because I, I constantly feel so um, imperfect and, um, you know, just like saying things and then being like, oh, why did I say that? And just looking back at things. And, and I don't mean this in kind of a, like, I'm, I'm constantly like negatively talking to myself or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I do, but, but I'm conscious now and I try not to, or or try to change that. Um, I I just mean it in the sense that we all are right. We're we're all, all of us have a a history and uh, all of us have things that, that we do that we don't quite know why we do them and do things unconsciously. And then, you know, think back and think I shouldn't have done that or whatever. I mean, and I think it's okay to show up like that with mm-hmm. our kids. and I found that if I show up like that then it's easier for them to also show up like that and be like 
more aware of that, right? Yeah, Yeah, because it's a, I even, I like to use the word human, you know, more than some, some version of perfect or imperfect, because it's not about striving to be perfect, which is some sort of outside of us vision, but the awareness piece to understand ourselves more and to understand the different pieces and where they come from, those help us in the moment. Those are internal. Those are our vision of who we are and who we would like to be moving forward, right? That's more of an internal vision and inner voice and and showing up and just maybe more transparently living alongside our kids. So they see that we're working at those things that, oh, you know, I'm a little disappointed about this, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And us seeing us think through that a little bit, seeing us go, oh, you know what, next time I'm going to try this. And, right. And just having, even if my kids aren't interested in a conversation about it, me just mentioning it here and there lets them see, because so often adults are kind of held up as like the perfect version that kids are supposed to grow into, right? That we know all the things, et cetera. So to just live a real human existence beside them, I think just lets them be more human too, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it leaves more space for like, fa- also like admitting that you failed at something, making failure, like not a negative word, but just simply it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Exactly. And that's okay. Uh, and, and I think both of my kids are pretty like on the more perfectionist side of mm-hmm. and, and I mean, it would be easy to just blame that on school and maybe school had something to do with it, but I'm sure it's just, you know, some personality too, or makeup in the past as well. And I, and we're trying to, and we're definitely trying to work on that mm-hmm. together because I'm like that too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who am I to judge? I just uh, say so often they're a beautiful mirror, aren't they? <laughs> is that, yes. And I think that is what's so constantly triggering about having children is that you're, you're seeing the bits of yourself that you don't want to see and also that you don't want them to have. Mm-hmm. Like, you want them to be like better than you, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when yes, I- I've gotten sort of past that now because I'm kind of like, we're all our own people, da, da, da. we're all on our own journeys. But I think like traditionally, uh, or at least the way I was raised, it was like, you're going to be better than me. Mm-hmm. My parents were like, no, 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 don't do this. You do this because you want to be better. You want to make better choices. Exactly. <laughs> pressure on, on a child. I know, I know, right? There, then there's just so much of that. And, okay, so that leads us so beautifully <laughs> into our next question, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, yeah. Um, because that really was one of the first things I really began to unpack is how much we judge and control children, right? Almost like adults in training, like we want you to be better. We want you to make better choices that we did. It's, you know, as an adult, it's our opportunity to help our kids not make all the same mistakes that we think we made, right? To our vision of what the perfect adult is. And you've written about this as the adult gaze. So I'd love for you to talk a bit more about that and what that means to you. Yeah, um, 
Yes. I mean, it is that it's, it's our constant need to give feedback and, and judge essentially in the hope that that will suddenly make children realize, Oh no, don't want to be like that. I'll just be like what they're saying I should be. It, it just doesn't really work like that. Um, but I don't know. I think it's just a thing that's been perpetuated like mm-hmm. generations, like this is how an adult behaves towards a child. Like I see it, I see it now so much more than I ever did. Uh, just going around in the world and seeing the way adults interact with my children. They don't, they don't like speak to them like they would speak to an adult. It's, it's all really about like asking questions and then like giving their opinion about their, the, my children's answer to that question. I'm like, shouldn't you be doing this or whatever? And, you know, it's just like, why are you speaking to them like that? <laughs> like you right? get away with doing that to an adult. Um, yeah. It's like we all, and even the positive, like often I'll get people saying to me, um, oh, you know, you've done such a great job. These children are so outgoing and kind and thoughtful. And, and I mean, it's great. And it comes from a place of, of wanting to tell me that they think my kids are, are great or whatever. Um, I actually had one person who said to me, you know, I hate children. Like, I'm just not a child person. Just hate them. Like, I'm, she said, I'm allergic to children. But she said, but I can actually chat to your children. So I quite <laughs> like that. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, rewind. Um, but yeah, the, there's just this, this idea that like, we are in charge of forming an opinion on any given child, any child that we see. We have to have an opinion on. Mm-hmm. We can't just let that child live, <laughs> see, yeah. Uh, and just like maybe like, like we do with adults, like, okay, maybe we judge adults too. But obviously it doesn't, we don't go to them and tell them for one. And, and second of all, it doesn't, you know, they're adults. It doesn't impact them in the same way. There isn't the same um, imbalance of power, mm. right? That when an adult says something to a child, that stays with the child. Like it really does. Mm-hmm. It can stay for like decades, you know, if it's something that's like harsh enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I still remember things from like my childhood. Like I came home one day and I was like, mommy, I want to I wanna start a travel agency uh, when I grow up. You know, I want to travel around the world and like see places. And, and my mom looked at me and she was like, you can do better than that. Oh, <laughs> this has stayed with me. I must have been like <laughs> maximum. Yeah. Um, and it really stayed with me. And I was like, oh, yes, no, can't do that. That's not good enough. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Child. It crashed. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. And I, I love your point, too. Now, once you see that lens that other adults are wearing, like, you can't see it anymore, right? It's they They bring so much to all their interactions with children it just you just see it so clearly like the judgment the expectations right and I mean don't you 
it's it's weird when, as you were saying, another adult is like praising your children to you. And you know, it's only because they fit into their box of what they're expecting. And that's just a fluke. It just happens that my children and who they are fits into that particular person's view of what they're expecting when they are are hoping for, what they're hoping for when they engage with the child, right? And you almost want to go, but no. (laughs) It's because they're, it's it's almost an, um, an affirmation of their view. And you're like, but no, your view is so... Um, fixed, so controlled that it's just random almost that my child, my child isn't trying to fit into your view, right? At that moment when you spoke to them that day. Yes, exactly too. (laughs) They just happen to be in a place in that moment that fit. Yeah, no, that's another great point as well. So it's just fascinating when we see adults interacting with kids and that's where you see also see so much of this schoolish view too. Like, as you were saying, the questions like, you know, what grade are you in? What subject do you like the most? You know, all the que- the questions. And as you say, they're just waiting for an answer. They don't really often relate it to the individual. They don't see the child as a person. They're just waiting for the answer to react to. Yeah. Right? Like they have a view of, of children. Yes. And they're asking the questions to confirm that view yeah. in their heads because they don't care what subject that child loves most. You know, yep. it, like they don't. That's just the question they ask all children. So, like, how, they can't possibly care about the answer to that question. Yeah, well, and the, they're not going to meet the child with that answer. At most, they're going to. Well, my favorite subject was. But their kind of response is, oh, of course you like Jim, (laughs) you know, just some sort of judgment or something about them that they want to share at most is is the motivation behind the question. So often, I mean, not that it doesn't happen, but so most often they are not looking to learn about the child and meet the child for who they are as a person and ask them more about that subject. No, it's just, usually it's just making conversation, right? Yeah. And that is a top, one of the top adult things. And I've done this too, is that you don't, you don't want the child to show up as messy and imperfect and sad or having any strong emotions or any negative, you know, negative feelings or whatever. No, you want them to be, uh, you know, polite and quiet-ish, uh, but lively. Yes, um, exactly. Right. In just the right moments. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sociable and like, don't interrupt, but you know, they like to have a conversation, you know, all those things. Like we have that kind of, um, yeah, we have that box, right? Yeah. That yeah. decided these are the things that like good children do. And, and so we don't, you know, when they, when they're like screaming and thrashing and throwing things or whatever, we're suddenly like, whoa, whoa, is this child a bad child? Yes. No, I mean, I have this, now my sister is wonderful and actually we share a lot of ideas, but before she had children, we have this moment where 
um, actually she had a newborn, she had a newborn. So, you know, you don't, you're at the beginning, whatever, and newborns don't do anything that, you know, is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of cry, eat, whatever. Anyway, so um, we were, we were on holiday and, and my son, who was maybe three, he was three at the time. So tiny now that I think of it. Yeah. He, he picked up a ball and threw it at the baby. <laughs> and obviously I was, you know, I had a chat with him, whatever, blah, blah. But she was horrified. She was like, how could you have produced a child that would throw a ball at a baby? You know, she was, because I think we, 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 we imbue the child with adult intentions. Yes. Like an adult threw a ball at a baby. That would be problematic. Like on purpose, it would be yeah. problematic. But a three-year-old, like, you What's know, play? going on there. Yeah, exactly. Who knew what he was thinking? Or well, maybe that was his emotion about like having a baby in the family and he could handle it. And that's how he showed it because he didn't have the words. You know, so there's so many things. But yes, we do have those. We do like, yeah, we do have an idea. We have a preconceived idea of what children should be. And I think that's where we go wrong, really. And I think it's, I I think, so I've been, um, because I've been studying, um, I'm doing a master's in early years education. And and I've been um, studying this week and reading up on like uh, the image of the child uh, and how a lot of the uh, early years provision, like in schools or whatever, um, like the way that we relate to children derives from the way we see them. So like from our conception of them. Mm-hmm. So obviously if we conceive the child as like uh, a blank slate, say, uh, that we need to impart all our knowledge to them and it will be imprinted in their brain and they will become us or whatever, then we're going to do it in a certain way. We're going to, you know, educate them in a certain way. Whereas if we see the child as, I don't know, uh, there's, there's different conceptions. Like, you know, some, some people see children as going through stages, you know, and then that would justify like having, um, you know, a curriculum uh, and the, by three years old, you have to know this, you have to do this by four years old, you know that. Um, and I think that's, that's like the root. I feel like this is, I mean, there are many roots, but I feel like this is one of the roots of the issue around education is that we don't, we fundamentally don't see the child as capable. We don't see the child as a full, whole, complex um, human that is worth listening to. And we don't see the child as uh, capable of constructing their own learning and constructing their own identity. Because if we did, we wouldn't be doing, we wouldn't be saying these things, we wouldn't be doing the things we're doing in schools, even in home education, you know, in some cases, we wouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. And parenting. And parenting, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, exactly, exactly. I love that. It is. And for me, that was just one of the really eye-opening things of, of coming to unschooling and really choosing to dive into this and choosing to look at my children. Like it was 
amazing, flabbergasted, like I can't choose the right word, but to see how capable they were, essentially, like that they were at young ages capable of like taking in what was going on around them, taking in the circumstances, making choices on the fly. And when you realize, like thinking back to when they were babies and toddlers, you know, they are capable of communicating their needs. They're capable of trying things over and over and over and over to gain experience, to learn new new pieces of whatever it is that they're interested in figuring out, like that determination, that drive, um, that curiosity, and noticing that, you know, it's been us that have been getting in the way of it, right? When we, as they start walking around, we start saying, you know, no more. We say, no, don't, no, that's going to be messy. You know, no, I'm tired. Yeah, whatever it is. Not that there should never be no's, like we're not making blanket statements that way, but just the realization that so often cutting off their ability to be capable was actually from us, something that we were doing, that we were getting in the way of, that we were stopping. So <clears throat> to start giving it more space so that and watching instead of judging, it may definitely look different than the way we think the choices that we'd make in that situation or we wish they'd make or want them to make, etc. But they're still keep so capable of making choices and figuring things out. And then we see that they're doing it in a way that makes sense to them, right? And that we're starting to understand is, oh, because they really like reading. So this way of communicating, like, and the the choices that they're making just makes so so much sense through their eyes, right? It's just so eye-opening, isn't it? It's really not about us. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um and also I think you know part of the whole adult gaze thing is also the the way we like constantly almost uh we don't unconsciously praise um children because actually it seems like a positive thing, right? But but it isn't. It's so manipulative. It is. And um and I mean and and I think I probably did it at the very beginning until I read some books. <laughs> <laughs> I did not try to stop, uh, which is actually quite hard to stop praising. Yes, you've been doing that. I mean, I'm sure I was doing that as a say teenager to younger children or whatever. Yeah, you, know, just, you hear it and then you just repeat it. Um, but yeah, I I feel like some kids are more susceptible as well than others. And I know, for example, that my daughter, when she was in school and even at home, um, she's very receptive to praise. So she will see when it's who's giving it mm-hmm. and why they're giving it and then try and do that thing to get more of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that seems harmless but I think it can be really dangerous. Like, like I, I think that can be a really dangerous way of kind of losing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just doing things because 
you are good at them or because someone is telling you you're good at them or is praising you for them. And so you're getting recognition or whatever. And then you do those things and then you kind of forget what it is you really enjoy doing. Um, I feel it's like someone else's voice kind of takes over their inner voice, right? They're not, it's harder for them to hear the things that they would like to do because with that praise or that reinforcement, it's like, oh, well, I should do that. I should do that. And so then they end up going all sorts of places that maybe, um, you know, they wouldn't naturally do. And, you know, it's not, not horrible or anything, but they will eventually most likely need to take the time to, at some point, figure out their own inner voice, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's not harder, I think. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of uh, people on over Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, just on chat, um, on DMs about how they felt they lost their inner compass. Yeah. You know, through schooling or whatever, being parented a certain way, um, because they just followed, you know, what other people were saying about them uh, and kind of lost touch with like what they actually enjoyed and you know what they wanted to do and and also the fact that if just if you're good at something it doesn't mean you should be doing it if you don't you know I mean nobody has nobody ever told me that growing up yeah yeah that's a big thing because and ingrained is in that is is the performance aspect right you know that one, one should be producing, one should be performing at a high level. And if you're not really good at it, then you shouldn't do it. So when you find the things that you're good at, that's what you should be doing. It can be completely different than, than what you want to be doing. And that whole, that whole performance piece is yet another big layer, performance and productivity, all that piece to peel back. That's another big one, right? <laughs> Um, I wanted to also touch on on systems as a whole. Like we've talked about the education system a bit. And I think what often it boils down to, and we've touched on a few times now, is that adult-child power dynamic and seeing how ubiquitous power is. Um, all around us. And it doesn't take long till we start often start questioning all sorts of different systems that are in our lives, right? I mean, you'll hear this so often, we hear it so often on the podcast, it's like, all of a sudden, I'm questioning everything. Like I just took my kids out of school, like, that's it. I just wanted to (laughs) school them. And then all of a sudden, like, once you question one thing, you realize, oh, I have so much choice. I think, you know, it boils down to, I have so much choice in um, what in my life so that all the things that I've learned or absorbed growing up um, really can be questioned, right? Uh, it's, it's a fascinating piece. Like you mentioned earlier, de-schooling, like how much de-schooling uh, you you start off with once you start realizing all the different systems and just conventional wisdom that you could question, right? Yeah, for sure. Sorry, you're you're actually breaking up a little bit. Um, I, 
So One, two, three. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I think that's a huge part of it that you don't expect when you because you're just thinking, oh, school, take them out of school, whatever. We'll just do this thing. Um, but then, yes, you start to question everything. I mean, if you're going to question like uh, the authority of the school system, then you may as well question the authority of, I mean, all other systems, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah and I think there's a I mean there's a huge link between realizing that your your children are whole capable humans deserving of respect and um, realizing that that all children not just yours but yeah. all other children are also the same and all people um so I don't think you can, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can separate that. I mean, it's, this is when unschooling becomes like so much more. I mean, I know that fundamentally it's uh, growing without school and learning without school. Sure. But it's like so much more than that in actual reality, right? Once you start digging, it, yeah. it's just... Um, and it requires a lot more. I find, found it required a lot more of me than I thought it would. Like I've had to question a lot of things that I've always taken for granted. Like I've become quite anti-capitalist and I, I never, it never really occurred to me as like a thing. Um, <laughs> but part, partly, I mean, to, you know, because I've, you know, I've benefited from it like I've benefited from capitalism and I've benefited from a, a lot of privilege uh, on many levels. And so I think until you are in a place where you're questioning things, then you don't, you don't question the things that you've benefited from. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, it's really important to do that. And, and I, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such a huge Huge, huge topic. Yeah. Yes. I think the, the, fu the fundamental thing is the thing you said at the beginning about um, the hierarchies. Yes. Um, so getting to a place where you recognize that actually hierarchy is like, um, is, is at the core of a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, and whenever there is a hierarchy, there are inevitably problems as in like what, because one person or a group of people has more power than another person or another group of people. And, and when the, when the power is imbalanced, like nothing good is going to happen. Mm -hmm. or nothing that is equitable is going to happen ever. It's just not possible. Um, and I think realizing that, and I hadn't realized this in like all the years that I've been reading unschooling books, I actually had not realized this until I took my kids out of school and I, I kind of became a bit more active on Instagram where, where I learned so much, um, from so many amazing, uh, people, um, uh, especially, uh, people of color, indigenous people, mm -hmm. um, uh, who speak really eloquently about systems and about hierarchies of power and how it has impacted their experience and just the general experience of humans. Um, so yeah, it, it is really, really huge. Yeah. 
No, I love, I love how you, the different kind of stages of the journey. Um, like you said, we can read all about, so unschooling, but even we can get to these big questions through whatever lens, whatever first system we come across that we're going to challenge with unschooling. It's the education. So this is a first um, for most people, this is the first system that they're like kind of recognizing, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't working um, or in, in our lives for our children, like whatever inspired us. And in we, there's that piece where the first stage is often that intellectual understanding of unschooling. Like you talked about, I read all the books. I knew what it was, but when you actually do it, it's a whole new thing, right? It's like another stage. Um, there is that intellectual understanding, but doing it in action day to day, living it is like a whole bunch more layers to peel back, right? And then, you know, as you work through that, then the next stage is, it is really hard to not notice that um, that power dynamic, the hierarchies, and the systems in place in in other areas of your life, right? And as I, it, it's just this beautiful hole of you know rabbit hole of learning um, when you. I know it's hard to imagine. I mean, you know that to to not. Um, at least question it like it's not not saying whatever anybody should think but with unschooling what you're learning is that you can question everything that there really is like your choice is involved that what you think matters in your life right not just absorbing what other people tell you to think or what I should think or this is how this should work and this should be good like Parents too, I feel, are really um, empowered when, as they dive into this lifestyle, I can question these things. You know, I question this, the education system, and I can see, I can see how it's working and benefiting the people um, in various ways. Um, I can see why it's so big. Like, there's just so many aspects to even just one system. But recognizing how, and that's not working for us. And I can see why that's not working for us as as a family, for my kids. And then, like you said, then it becomes, we start seeing all the kids, right? And we just, it our, our viewpoint, I think, just naturally grows bigger and bigger, right? Until we just realize that we have the power to um, what we think matters to us like that we don't need to be told you know what I mean does does that make sense but yeah it's you know from intellectually understanding to seeing how it works in your lives to seeing the the bigger picture as it goes I think um it is just a, a really beautiful journey and an important one I think yeah for sure it is I think I think maybe one of the biggest things I I come up against Mm-hmm. the fact that well I don't know if it's a fact but the idea that it's um it, not everyone can homeschool mm-hmm. or, um because people have 
you know, because yeah, there are families where both parents have to be out at work. It's just not doable for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I know there's a lot of pushback on this. I know there's a lot of people saying that it is, it is doable. Like if you really want it, um, you know, you can do it. But I, I personally don't feel like I can say that just because I feel like I've, I've been lucky in the sense that I don't have to work for pay. And so I'm able to stay home. Um, whereas there are lots of other people who do, and, and it's a, it can be a struggle. And if I did, then it would probably be a struggle. Um, so I think that's frustrating to me that, and I think this is why I'm not as, uh, while I'm not a fan of school, obviously, I'm not like anti-school in the sense that um, I, I acknowledge that it's there and that, that something like it is going to have to be there for mm-hmm. a while at least. Um, but I am more of a, I am more of a fan about like changing it. So changing it so that it becomes something that is more like self-directed, more self-directed, mm-hmm. more free and less hierarchical because that, that is possible. Yes. I mean, people have done it. Yeah. I, what I find interesting and it's not something I can really see. I'll, I would need to. Ask for anyway, what I'm getting at is I have noticed, you know, in the last five, 10 years that there are more and more options, um, like like uh, more Sudbury schools, free schools, agile learning centers that are more self-directed. So I feel like there's more self-directed options out there. What I'm curious about, I don't know what it seems to me, but that may be because I am, you know, more connected with. The, those kinds of communities, whether or not um, other people um, more generally who don't really know much about unschooling are seeing those as options out there, that would be interesting. But, uh, you know, hoping that those kind of just more choice again, right? Like when when this goes out, I, I'll have just finished um, <clears throat> sharing Um, a draft of a book that I wrote a few years ago on the podcast. And that's the thing is that ultimately, once you've done this work and really like understand um, unschooling, it's, it's okay if, if school or some aspect of school is part of your life, because ultimately once you've kind of broken that link between like authority hierarchy and school School can just be like another option that, you know, is part of your lives. Um, It doesn't, you don't need to absorb that authority. You don't need to become like that teacher at home, right? Where you sit on top of them as they get their homework done. You make sure they've studied for the test. You praise an A and you judge a D, you know, (laughs) you don't need to bring that whole ethos into your family, it can just be another way that that learning is happening, or that they're engaged in in various topics, etc. So it really doesn't need to have the power that conventionally we give it. You know what uh, I mean? And yeah, but I think it's hard. Um, like, sorry, just 
I'm just thinking about what you're saying, and it's yeah. and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think you're right, but maybe it's easier if, say, you have unschooled your kids, and then yeah, and then they go into the school system and they have mm -hmm. a, a bigger sense of themselves and of what's actually going on there. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think if you if you start if your kids start in you know a mainstream school at whatever age four, um, you know it, it's 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 brainwashing. Well, as you said, remember what you said right at the beginning there. Um, you know, your kids went to school, and oh my gosh, you know, just the pull to move forward, to move forward, to move forward. There's not that time to question. And as we were talking about earlier, often you know, questioning the education system on, and often it's, if it's not working for a child. You know, if it's kind of work, like if it was kind of working for your daughter, right? So uh, you just keep rolling down that treadmill. So, yeah, I think there has to be something that tweaks someone to start questioning that treadmill, that path, for lack of a better word, that conventional path. And it doesn't have to be um, the, the education system per se. You know, so often out in the world that you see people talking about something and you see where they've gotten with whatever path that they were questioning, challenging, you know, figuring out for themselves. And it's like, oh, you would get unschooling so fast if you just said, and let's point that at the kids. Yeah. Right? Because... There, there is that um, overarching um, questioning, but yeah, the ways to encourage people just to question up front like that's that challenge. So for me, that's why I in, enjoy probably isn't the right, but living unschooling out in the world, just being out in the world as an example, as planting a seed that it doesn't have to be that way, that there are other choices, whether or not you literally take the choice, but knowing that there, that there are other choices, if that becomes interesting enough to you, that might be the tweet that, that sends you off just to, just to question things, just to see, oh, we don't have to do things the way we've always assumed or been told that we need to do, right? Um, I think I need to be get a bit better at that, actually, because I feel like uh, I... I often, you know, we go around and people ask the kids what grade they're in. And then I say, oh, we homeschool. And then my daughter, my daughter goes, mommy, it's unschool. <laughs> yeah. I'm more like, you know, no, it's like, I'm just trying to get away from the topic because I feel like it, it's going nowhere good. But that's another, that really is another stage, you know, where, you, like you said, you've only been doing it for a couple of years at this yeah. point. But I, I know, I'm just looking back over the, the many years, sometimes, it, oh, we homeschool. And that's the seed at first. And then I, you know, I do remember, like in my son's dojo, there had, would have been time. So they will have known, they'll see my son in action. And they're like, oh, no, they don't homeschool. I mean, they don't go to school. And then they'll see, like, when Sensei asked me, are you guys going to this tournament? I turned and said, hey, Mike, do you want to go to this tournament? <laughs> you know, asking my child and not answering for my child. And then at some point, they'll some of them would just come up to me and say, hey, 
I heard that you guys are homeschooling. What's that about? And then we'll like sit in the corner and oh my gosh, an hour will just be, will pass as I'm answering their questions. So there's no expectation that they need to be curious and ask, but just being ourselves out in the world over time gives people the opportunity to to let that um, bubble away in the back of their mind for a while and just be curious. And at some point, like, Hmm, I want to learn a little bit more about that. So, yeah. is from like friends of mine who, you know, uh, whose kids are in school and who, whatever, don't intend to homeschool talking about what we're doing. Like mm-hmm. it has, it has planted seeds yeah. for sure. And it has made them think rethink certain things even though they're not taking their children out of school um but regardless of that it it has you know there are certain like friends of mine who are very um i don't know how to describe it but you know quite privileged very mainstream mm-hmm. people yeah um will will write to me or tell me like oh that thing you said like it really like resonated like I really so yeah it's true yeah. uh, that's true but I think it's a long term like you said it's kind of a long term thing like I'm very comfortable talking to my friends about what we're doing um less so with just complete strangers or you know people that I don't know very well mm-hmm. um I mean as you know I'm quite vocal on Instagram and that's kind of my outlet yeah, it's yeah. like my community. Like that's where I find the people who I can discuss things with. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. right now we don't have a, a big, big community where we are, uh, or at least not a big, uh, like unschooling community. But um, yeah, I think it's. I think you're right. It's kind of a long term thing of like day in, day out, like just mentioning and- it to people and then realizing that you're not utterly weird because yeah well utterly weird exactly (laughs) I just pulled because that book started with the the analogy that I felt alien when I was out in the world I felt like like we were aliens from other people's perspective like who are these kind of strange people they don't go to school etc but they need that time to see oh look they're they're not alien I can still, you know, talk to them. They still, you know, come to class. But when what it boils down to, I think often over time, they see the relationship, right? They see um, that we're not butting heads with. I, I always remember people would come to me and say, oh, you know, you Michael must practice a lot. You know, you, you get him to, to practice a lot because he's progressing, whatever, whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, he does a lot of practice. He enjoys it. He's always got his nunchucks out or whatever it is. But just changing up the words because you can tell they think I'm reminding him you need to practice, you know, for the dodo, etc. So it's just those little seeds, those little changing up of the perspective. And they see the relationship and they see the fun and the joy and the connection. And that's what kind of gets the juices and the questions flowing if they're ready for it. Because if we push too hard, that becomes 
more conflict than connection. It becomes more of a power hierarchy. I think I'm doing something better than you. And I really need you to learn this and figure this out. I am just, you know, inverting that power structure on them if I push too hard. But if I'm around and available and just planting, just being ourselves out in the world. So the option that things are different. I mean, for me, like it's not judging anybody for how they are being in the world, how they want to do things. But for me, that is what um, has felt good to me as I'm engaging with that whole side of things, right? (laughs) You're also pushing back on the idea that like who our children are is is because of us. Yes, exactly. That's a big one. Our child is like, I don't know, painting every day, you know, really into painting, just an example. Um, then we must have done something mm-hmm. to either encourage that or push them into it or reminded them to do it or, you know, and then if our child like, you know, does something that is seen as not good, um, then that's also our fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's that thing of like their projection of us. Exactly. Like, yeah. Not just because actually it's a need inside of them or, uh, whatever you know that's their character or you know it's kind of like oh yeah you taught them very well yeah, it's not seeing them as people right as human beings themselves with with agency and choice and personalities and moments like it's okay for an adult to be having a hard time like we are empathetic or understanding you know I'm sorry you're going through this but if a child's going through a hard time that's bad that's wrong the parents should be fixing that right now and stopping that, right? Okay. You can't express yourself like that. Exactly. In a calm voice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a calm voice. That's not what I do. Exactly. But other times, you know, it reflects the way I feel and that's okay for kids. Mm-hmm. Human again, right? <laughs> Okay, so you have mentioned, we should probably move on. We could talk about that forever. You you mentioned a bit earlier that you're doing a master's in early years education. And I would love to hear the story behind that. What's the inspiration? What are you hoping to get out of it? Um, so, so I trained as a Montessori guide. Uh-huh. So that's kind of then my kids went to my Montessori school. And so that was kind of where I came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess at that point, I'd forgot, I have, I'd maybe put down the unschooling books for a while and got really into Montessori. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so, so then it was kind of a gradual, like, moving back into unschooling after that, which was very interesting. Uh, now I have quite a few issues, actually, with Mon- not issues, but I have things to say about Montessori, mm-hmm. uh, like some good things and some things I think that could be different, but that aside, uh, that's a early years has kind of always been my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why. And, uh, and, and actually when I, when I signed up for it, um, because I knew we'd be homeschooling for a couple of years. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to be working. So why don't I do this? It'll be interesting. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I love to study. And I was quite an academic child. So I kind of, I love to just like read books and write essays and 
Okay. <laughs> That's also a side that I've that I've done a lot. Like I'm still doing a lot of like de-schooling. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like not expecting my children necessarily to want to do that. Um, but uh, what was I going with this? Um, oh yeah, why well, I'm doing it? Yeah, I'm, it's just out of interest basically, and also because you know at some point I'd like to get back to doing some kind of work, and I don't really know what that will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is something to do in the meantime that kind of gets me gets me thinking. And and initially I was really dreading it actually. Like I I, I applied and da 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 and I was into it and then before starting I was really dreading it because I was like oh this is going to be so you know I was saying oh this is going to be so schoolish like because yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> in my head there's a contradiction right in my yeah. head it's like I'm unschooling and then why am I signing up for a program like yeah. why am I not like creating my own masters you know like as my own self-directed masters yeah and, and the reason, I really did think of that. And I looked into it and I chatted to my sister about it. She's an academic. And then we sort of chatted about whether that could be a thing, you know, mm-hmm. that would be a viable thing or whatever. And then I just thought, you know, I'm just too lazy. I, I just don't want to create my own masters. Yeah. I'm just not like, I just want to sign into something. I feel like I do a lot of of creative work like mm-hmm. around my kids and just in my life and I didn't want to I wanted to log in and see a reading list and read it and do you know what I mean I feel like sometimes you do need to be I do at least I like to be kind of not necessarily told what to do but like taken down a path you know really? um, I was dreading it also because I thought um it would just be really, um, you know, like early years education has to look like this. But actually, I've been doing it for like a month now, so not long. Uh, but I've been so pleasantly surprised. The, the um, uh, Department uh, of Education um, at the university is like really progressive. And... Um, and I loved, there was a lecture that I was listening to and the, the professor was like, and um, the tools, the neoliberal capitalist tools of, the, of UNICEF and the World Bank and the whatever else, he mentioned another kind of international, you know, organization for children. And I was like, yes, yes, this is, I can get behind this. <laughs> You know, I have, I mean, that's not that I've looked into any of that myself, but, uh, you know, talking to a few podcast guests who are have uh, done um, higher level, you know, learning um, education um, about education. It's fascinating to see, like, I even mean, had guests who teach in the education department at universities, how, um, the focus is, or the information is so much focused on how people learn, how children learn, and and is very interesting, and they find fascinating, etc. And there is the disconnect 
then also about how they actually go into the system and, oh, like all that is all well and good, but inside the system, when we're actually in a classroom and having to deliver, there are so many constraints on top of that, that the theory just doesn't fit so well into the reality. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, if you see academics as here, which, you know, you don't necessarily need to see. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, all those, so all many academics are, doing studies that are so like amazing and important. And they basically prove a ton of principles that are like self-directed learning principles. Yeah. That's out there. It's just, it's just not trickling down to the schools or not moving across to the schools, however you want to see it. It's just not, um, it's not filtering through to the people who are actually like running the schools, uh, making policy decisions and that capitalist side of you know curriculum companies and like that whole piece as well yeah there are lots of reasons why I think it it just feels like such a big ship at this point this the education system that trying to you know get it to move or tweak is is a herculean effort I feel at this point that was just this morning I was reading something that uh, like an article by John Holt about how he did try initially right mm-hmm. shift the edu- change the education system and in at the very beginning when he first came out with his ideas people were super receptive so, so there was like a kind of like um big media you know frenzy about like yes this is the new way to learn Da-da-da-da. everyone was excited John Holt was like so into it. He was like, yeah, it's going to work out. And then he quickly realized that that was just a wave. It was just like a, a wave of excitement. And then as soon as people realized the reality of it, yeah. the reality of setting up a self-directed space in a school, they were like, no, no. And then they just went uh, back to what they were doing. And then he, that's when he sort of realized, oh, this is not going to work in schools. Yeah, not immediately in any case. Yeah, not in the system way it is. I mean, I remember, you know, because my kids all went to school. I had never heard of homeschooling. I didn't know it was an option when they first went. Um, And so I was working with the system, you know, having teachers because my son and the classroom weren't a great fit. um, And you know, and I would talk to teachers and, and I gave presentations at the school about, you know, spirited kids and everything. And the teach all lovely, lovely people, you know, they would say, absolutely, absolutely. But I can't do that in the classroom. Like I don't have the time or the space or the, the agency to do these things in my, in my classroom. Um, So, and the same with the principles, et cetera. And so, and what ended, it ended up being that once I discovered homeschooling, it was like trying to change it from inside just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't working. And it was at the expense of, of my child. And so, yes, then when I discovered we could, we left. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I think a lot of teachers do do that. They take yeah. their kids and they homeschool and certainly as a as someone who's briefly worked in early years in preschools and nurseries I 
you know, Montessori preschools and nurseries, like even the Montessori principles get a little lost in the actual everyday practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not generalizing, obviously, can't generalize to all Montessori schools, but but there's a big, I think in general, there's a big disconnect between the theory, like the written theory and the written like studies and ideas and all of that. And then what you're at, what the real humans are actually doing in classrooms, like huge. And I'm not really sure how to bridge that. And even in very, you know, even in early years, like early years is a much less of a monolith than like schools, right? It's much more uh, flexible. Parents are less worried, generally speaking, although it sounds like it, it's getting worse. Yeah. Like parents worry, get worried at way earlier ages now. But you'd think that if, if you're going to change anything, you could, you could begin with the early years. Um, and that also is very hard. It's, it's just very hard to, you know, even just from one of the places I worked at, um, I was trying to bring in more consent-based practices with just in, separate to whatever else we were doing, mm-hmm. just um, practices of, just for us practitioners and the way we related to children and to really think about whether what we were doing was um, respecting the children's consent yeah. and bodily autonomy. And even that was like we talked about it. Everyone was in agreement. Um, and then it just didn't happen. And I, I think part of it is because we, we never, as if, when you're, if you're a teacher or like a kind of, um, uh, practitioner in education, you don't, uh, reflect on yourself much, Mm. Uh, at least traditionally, like, and I know that Montessori has a whole thing about how the teacher needs to work on themselves. Like you are the problem. You know, she writes this in her books, like the teacher is the problem. Like you need to really look into yourself and see what your, what your behavior is imparting to the child or whatever. Um, but I don't feel that this is really done enough. Like I don't feel there's a con- more like conscious reflection on like, why did you say good job to that, for example? Like, yeah. nobody, I'm sure there are people out there and wonderful teachers who do all that reflection. But I feel like in general, it's not a thing that's like massively encouraged by the, sy- the system and maybe individual schools. I don't know. But I mean, not for, even if it is encouraged, it's not working because from what I've seen from my children being in school and they were in a progressive school, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> as an unschooling parent, like that's like eighty percent of of our right. I mean, just looking back at things I thought and things I did, and how can I reframe this? And right, it's so mm-hmm. internal, so much internal work. Exactly, um, exactly. No, that's. It, it it is again back to what we were talking about theory versus in practice and i think um i mean i only know unschooling circles but and people i talk to through the podcast but that is what we find like 
so much of it is our work to do. It's our personal work, our um, our questioning, our digging in, our, oh, how did that go? Our analysis, our choices. Oh, I'm going to try this and see what happens, you know, and just working through so many of those pieces is the bulk of the work. And then, you know, we have fun with our kids and we help our kids, but that that's kind of the easy part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of is. It's yeah. stuff working on ourselves. Bit. That is the hardest bit and the most challenging bit. Mm-hmm. The bit that never really, you know, it never ends. And there's always yep. more. There's always more where that came from. Exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, we're always learning and growing. Yeah. You know, we talk about kind of the bulk of de-schooling, which, you know, year, two, three years, like there were big questions for a long time. But yes, some there is always life. Life is like that, right? For human beings, stuff comes up. It still, it will always come up. That's life. Um, and for me, that was one of my big aha moments. At first, for those first few years, I kept trying to like, let me solve this. Let me figure this out. Then we can like relax and unschooling will be beautiful. And uh, and I kept like trying to work towards that. The realization that, oh, this is life. The the challenges that come up and the work to move through them, that is the, the, the soul of it. The heart and soul of it is being human in the moment and doing this work. I'm not doing this work so that I can be done doing this work. This is life. That was, that was a big step. <laughs> and, real, and, and I mean, not, not super pleasant. It's like, oh, there's always going to be something going on. Not, not comfortable. No. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm, I've, you know, it's just in recent years that I've embraced being like more vulnerable and more open and like getting, you know, more kind of comfortable with discomfort um, and things like that. And uh, I think you have to be in the right place for it as well as an adult. Like I certainly had years when I was not, I just wasn't in that place. It wasn't a thing. Like I wasn't going to be vulnerable. Nobody could make me. Um, you know, and then, you know, I was, I was ill for a while and I think that brought up a ton of questions and that kind of started a, a big, um, like avalanche of like stuff that kept growing and then sort of unschooling, like got caught up in it and, and it was still going with it, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, Unschooling is like the beginning of unschooling is just the beginning of unschooling. Like it's not. You know what's so fun is because at first you're like, am I going to unschool? Am I going to take the kids out of school? Or am I not going to send them? Like you think that the choice to unschool is like kind of the end. But it's the answer. I finally, oh, okay, we decided. Now here we go. It's the beginning. (laughs) Really just the beginning. everything comes after everything that comes after that is way bigger and harder I think than that moment of taking them out although I know that like and I remember that moment it was a it was a big moment yes many people it's like a back and forth back and forth it's a really difficult moment but actually once you've done it you're like 
it wasn't, you know, you've done it. It's not yeah. that hard. Like what sustaining it is, is really what's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We're going to flip it around a little bit because I would love to hear your favorite thing about the flow of your unschooling days right now. Well, um, so it's interesting because we, we moved recently. Uh-huh. So, and I mean, we've been here three months now, so that's a considerable amount of time, but we're still figuring things out a bit. Yeah. And I'm still in that place where like, I miss, we were living in Dubai and I really miss it. Yeah. Like, I miss the warmth and all the friends we had and we we were in a really cute neighborhood and the kids had a lot of freedom they could leave the house and go visit because it was very safe so they could just go visit other people's homes uh we had neighbor kids in our home all the time it was you know my kids are very sociable so it's it was so nice uh and that is not our current situation (laughs) Um, which is so great in so many ways. There's so much green here. It's just beautiful. Um, we're, you know, on an island, the sea, uh, all that stuff. But it's been a big shift. Um, I mean, we have no children anywhere near us in the neighborhood, and we have to drive to see any. Mm-hmm. Um, but my kids are also very happy, like, seeing adults and hanging out with adults. So they don't really, they don't, you know, they don't obsess over like, oh, you know, I've got to have, got to see children every day or whatever. Um, I mean, even though they were doing that in Dubai, but they, I mean, they're a lot more easygoing than I am, frankly. Like they're just, they, they just are so much more, they just embrace what is yeah. a lot more and I'm much more resistant to what is. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> but anyway, I'll, I'll answer your actual question, which was what I like about the flow of our days, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I went off on a whole tangent. Um, that, no, that's very interesting because those are big things. Like, I think sometimes we can have expectations of ourselves, you know, that like three months, that is such a short short window of time in the big picture of things but we can expect ourselves to like quickly adjust okay we're here you know let's unpack boom you know now we've got a new life but yeah it's it's a big thing so (laughs) usually I am like that whenever we've moved we've moved a lot I'm very much like close that chapter on to the next thing um but this time I've actually allowed myself to just be really sad Mm -hmm. but you know quite quite a long time yeah. So just not like, you know, constantly sad, but just to have moments where I, where I acknowledge that, yeah, that I still miss mm-hmm. like the place we were and I miss my friends and all that stuff. Uh, and I still get kind of emotional about it, even talking about it. Cause, yeah. cause I, cause I had, you know, it was like three and a half years we were there. So it was long for us. Yeah. Um, you built that up, right? Like, and now you don't have, and you need time to build that up in a new place and in a new way, right? Um, but what I do like about here is that we spend a lot of time outdoors and it's very green, uh, which we didn't have. Um, and we go on hikes, which I love. And our days are kind of, I mean, our days are just slow, uh, which I'm into. 
we just kind of, you know, wake up whenever and um, we'll kind of get, we get started really slowly, uh, which I really like because I feel like I need that. Mm-hmm. Like I have coffee, like I'll like read a bit and, you know, whatever, I'll do a bit, something with the children maybe. And then I'll go out. So we have a coffee shop nearby, which is like the only thing nearby with like people in it. so I go there and I like get coffee and that's like my little my little ritual and sometimes the kids come with me and then um you know we we just kind of yeah just and we don't really have like at the beginning when we started homeschooling I was really like we have to have a rhythm Mm -hmm. um we did and the rhythm was fine and the rhythm worked for us in in another place where we had more things we had to be at uh, at any given time whereas here it's just everything's just much slower and and we just the days just flow and often I didn't get all the things I wanted to do done in the day even though the day was super slow I and know I that's, that, that's such a fun <laughs> you know I just spent some time, like you know sitting outside whatever doing nothing that's good um and um and we you know the kids we have some reg we've made some friends uh so we have some regular play dates which is nice uh, and we just usually go outdoors um and do something outdoors mm-hmm. uh and then um and then actually my daughter has a she's doing like a self-directed uh online session so she has two sessions a week it's mm-hmm. a, it's actually a learning center uh that's based in DC mm-hmm. uh, but they're only online for now. I think they plan to open in real life next year. Um, but for now they're online, which works for us because um, she can do it online and it gives her something that is just hers, Yeah. Uh, which I think she really, I mean, she's really, and I, I remember this in myself as well. She cannot wait to just be like, you know, out in the world doing her own thing. Yeah. Like she was so excited because like here she can, go out the door and go for a walk by herself and then come home and it's really safe and it's fine and we're not in a big city or anything so you know it's more doable Mm -hmm. Uh, so she loves doing things like that like going off doing her own thing nobody knows like she doesn't want to tell us necessarily the details of what she's doing you know it's like having her own life um or at least a part of it that is her own so I think, yeah, she needed that. Um, so she's doing that. And then I, I, we, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what we do. We don't, you know, <laughs> it's just, it sounds like nothing, but. But it's everything. There's a lot happening. Mm-hmm. We, we have meals and have long conversations. There's more space. There's more space for everything. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The, the space for things because, and, and it, it's not at all surprising that there's a slow season after such a big move, right? Just kind of recentering, regrounding, just letting things flow and unfold and, and your daughter finding, Ooh, I have this space now that I can, you know, do my things or choose my things and so that is just beautiful. And I, I really see why that would be kind of like your favorite thing right now. And the paradox of 
we have all this time. And yet there's still things that I thought I was going to do today that I didn't get to, right? And not judging that, but just like, hey, just that's interesting. That's curious. It's, I think living outside of a city as well helps. Yeah. If you don't feel that there's no hustle and bustle. And everyone here is very much like that. You know, you'll call someone to come and do something and they're like, oh, not until like January 15 or whatever, you know, it's, it's all very like, and I like that. It's very, um, it's very like Southern Italian, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, obviously I love because, <laughs> 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 you know, that's where I'm from. And, and we spent a lot of time in the South and everything is very much like, I remember Mike, so my husband's American and we went into a shop once in Southern Italy And this was like peak tourist season. I mean, it's not really out um, foreign tourists. It's more like Italian tourists, but it's a busy season. Okay. So we go into a shop and, and, and he asked like, oh, do you have this? And like another size. And the guy, the the lady that was there was like, "Um, oh, I don't know, but like Gianni, someone else who worked in the shop, the owner, who knows, knows, but he's not here right now. And, you know, he might be here tomorrow. I don't know. And and my husband, you know, who grew up in the States, was just like, call him? Doesn't have a number? Call him, ask him. I'm here now. Like, I would like this robe in, like, whatever size. And she's like, nah, he probably won't answer. Like, (laughs) I just loved, I just loved that moment because I (laughs) customer service hello but they were not bothered like at all they were like I don't have to sell you this now like it can wait there'll be another you tomorrow or whatever (laughs) and I kind of I mean it's I see how it can be frustrating but I I also like reclaiming that because I feel that that's an inherent part of like my culture Mm -hmm. and it pushes back a bit against the whole, you know, consume, consume, busy, busy, work hard, you know, whole mindset. Yeah. And the, the idea of, you know, um, so trying to think of the right word, but like the pull to make ourselves about other people's needs, Mm. you know, that that piece there too so yeah no that was a brilliant story <laughs> all right Fran I have taken up a lot of your time but thank you so much for speaking with me it was so much fun thank you I've loved being here oh I have loved it too it's so interesting to dive into all this stuff now before we go I want to let people know where they can connect with you online yes I'm mostly on Instagram um, mm-hmm. Big mothering, uh, yeah. that's my handle, and that's kind of the main place. Okay. Yes, I'll be sure to put the link to that in show notes, but you can go right to Instagram and search Big Mothering, and you will find Fran there. And I encourage you to follow her. It's so, so fun and interesting, and she'll make you think, and lots of great questions to ask yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fran. I wish you guys a wonderful day. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. 
And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.